This is the Agile Business Athlete Show, a well-being podcast that shows you how to beat burnout and have more fun. In each episode, Leanne will be joined by special guests who will share their secrets of how they stay healthy and energized and the simple steps they take to prioritize good health. And if they can do it, so can you. And now over to your host, Leanne Spencer. Hi, welcome to the Agile Business Athlete Podcast. My guest this week is Sonia. She's the managing director of a company called Love Mondays, a business consultancy. She's also the number one best-selling author of the book called A Woman's Work, a book written to help and inspire more women to be successful in business. She also runs a cafe. She has a property side hustle, and she has suffered from burnout three times, as we talk about in this conversation. It's a um, a harrowing at times, but brilliant conversation, uh, ranging from childhood trauma to growing up with a young son, pivoting in her career, suffering from burnout in the pandemic, but all the time recovering and going on to do the deep work that enables her to keep on going, keep on growing, keep on learning. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Sit back. Here is Sonia Leeson. Sonia, welcome to the show. It's good to see you again. Hi, Leanne. Great to be here. Thank you. So let's start with the moment. If you can pin it down to a moment that you just thought, I can't do this anymore. You know, take us back there, share as much detail as you're happy to. And uh, what, What's that story? Where does it start? Um, those of you that have heard from me before know that I haven't had exactly the conventional life. Um, I was homeless at 16, pregnant and homeless at 17, a mama and homeless at 18. And I was in and out of homeless hostels with my son for many, many years. So after living that life, when you're kind of crawling your way out of it, you've got the benefits system, you've got the council house system, you know, you've got all of those things that you have to kind of navigate whilst trying to build your career, whilst trying to be a single parent and whilst growing up. So I got to the age of 30, um, by now, I was managing director. I'd already started my business and I'd worked really hard on my career. And anybody out there that's got children, whether in a partnership or on their own, I was on my own. Um, they know how much of a juggle it is. And sadly, I went down the wrong road for, I say wrong road, I learned a lot, but I went off the rails for about 10 years in my 20s. And um, looking back, I can see why it happened because I just had to be put on this whole new trajectory. And unfortunately, when my son, when I was 30, um, my son got extremely ill. So he got food poisoning and he ended up being blind and paralyzed and off school for six months. Um, It took him two years to rehabilitate. I was just thrown into caring for him. So lost my job, lost my house, like everything I'd worked for just got taken from me. And so at that moment, I was like, I can carry on down this road (laughs) or I can seriously start having a look at myself and how I've been, you know, throwing him in breakfast clubs, throwing him in after school clubs. I had no choice. I had to work. I didn't have to. I could have stayed, you know, on that in that lifestyle. But I wanted to kind of provide him with something better. And I threw myself into work. So I got to the point where I was like, I really need to start reevaluating what's going on here I was in an abusive relationship like my life was not you know I wasn't on my feet at all um and unfortunately for me it took a massive you know strike of lightning to say wakey wakey um and so I did so I got burnt out (laughs) hit 30 and just thought right things have got to change and as soon as I decided that the amount of people I met 
who helped me who were also self-employed. So there was coaches, um, therapists, people who, uh, you know, back specialists that I was doing work for in swap for them healing my son. So I had all sorts of strength and conditioning coaches I was doing marketing for so that they'd come and help my son get better. And I just started slowly, slowly rebuilding my life. So I went into therapy for, and I mean, you know, intense hypnotherapy, trauma work, um, trying to be a coach, trying to be a hypnotherapist, um, built my business as well. Um, And yeah, it was really that defining moment for me. Mm. Well, I mean, it's an incredible story. Um, where, where kind of to go back to, really? I mean, how, I'm just curious. I'm sure people listening would be curious. You know, how do you feel at 16, 17, 18? I, and I'm not probing into any, any more of the detail than you've shared, but how did you feel around that time? You must have felt incredibly up against it. I mean, you're so young. And now and you're responsible you, for another adult as well. Did it's that, a blessing that and responsibility a curse. help you or? <laughs> I had nobody, so I don't speak to my family, sadly. Um, my fa- my son's father is not the type of person that you would want to have around a child um, or yourself. So I really was on my own. And when you're in the system, you know, I fell through the net. I didn't go into care or anything like that. I probably should have done, but I fell through the net and I was just put into a um, halfway house for women who were coming out of abusive relationships or people that were coming out of prison and rehabilitating. So at 17 years of age, you can imagine that kind of environment. Some of the things I've seen are really, really terrible because people are on the edge of life in those types Mm. of places. Um, But it was a blessing and a curse being young because I didn't know to be scared because I didn't know how bad the world could be. I was quite naive. And I think the shock and the trauma came later on. um, And I had to deal with quite severe anxiety over the years. That's one of the first signs that I start getting that I'm like, burnout might be coming here. I'm starting to get really anxious. But also on the flip side, which is also a positive and a negative, I have got such massive tolerance um, for anything you know I run two businesses and I'm an author and I'm a mom and I've got this huge tolerance of work and stress I suppose um because it really has made me resourceful um but then on the flip side of that I have got a massive tolerance for stress so I do take on a lot and so I am quite you know predisposed I suppose to get into my to to the stage where I'm like oh my god there is a lot on me at the moment Mm. um and I do have to watch that I do because and also I think I learned very young that life that life's hard and I've got to work hard so it's almost like ingrained in me now that that that's just normal um so there's positives and negatives for sure yeah, I think sometimes our greatest strength is our greatest weakness as well the ability to withstand and endure is great but it can have its downsides and you just I have do, to know yourself, just you have to be really in tune with yourself. And I'm sure that anybody that's been through, you know, burnout or anything like that, it almost gets to a point where you don't realise it's there. And then suddenly you're like, oh my God, like how have I kind of gone so far down this road? Um, and it takes, you know, that moment to go, something's got to change. Mm. I did some research into childhood origins and burnout. And there are, of course, some connections. Have you done any research into that? No, it's really interesting. Have you thought about that at all? Um, Well, a lot of what what can help, you know, if you're brought up in a a very highly demanding household, you know, high expectations and so on, that can often teach people you've got to push, 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 and always strive to be the best. And that obviously can can go one way with burnout. Trauma, uh, childhood trauma specifically, often has negative health outcomes. There's lots of um, uh, childhood adverse 
studies, or I think it's, it's called something like that. It'll come back to me. But where they did a study and looked at childhood trauma and what it meant for long-term health impacts later in life. And they, the conclusion, as you might predict, was very negative income uh, outcomes for health. Uh, so lots, yeah, there's quite a bit around that. Um, yeah, the therapy so, that I luckily found and trained in, the hypnotherapy, which is uh, basically through cellular healing. So I was very sick. I was very ill. By the age of 29, I was on like 15 medications for like, women's problems, stomach problems, thyroid problems, like all of these underlying illnesses. Um, and I got to, I started thinking, what's the difference? So there's a healthy person over here and there's me here. We're both born. We both have two arms, two legs. What is the difference between this healthy person and me? And the only thing I could put my finger on was the trauma and the stuff that I'd been through. I was on antidepressants. Mm. I was on anti-anxiety medication. And I was like, what type of person do I want to be when I'm older? Do I want to keep going down this road of pharmaceutical medications? Or do I want to actually start looking at the the root cause of this? And through the grace of God, it was hilarious circumstances that how it happened. But I got put in touch with a lady who actually looks at cellular memory. So through hypnotherapy, we can actually release any um, stored memories from the central nervous system. Not everything, as everybody knows, is in the conscious brain. There's obviously the stuff that, that drives us every day is in the subconscious. And so I was lucky enough to find this lady who <laughs> I don't know how she held me through probably about five years of um, hypnotherapy, just releasing everything. And I got off all medications. I don't take any antidepressants, anti-anxiety. I don't take anything. My stomach healed. Um, My thyroid medication, I don't take anymore. Like I slowly, slowly, I just started feeling so much, you know, better and healthier. And a hundred percent, it was down to the trauma. It was stored in my body. Mm. Um, And I just couldn't, I couldn't release it. It doesn't matter how much you talk about it. That's conscious. It's the subconscious stuff you have to deal with. Um, so yeah, that's been my road out, out of it. Um, and I always think, you know, the only way out of it is through it. You have to just deal with it and process it. And I've been lucky enough to be able to come out healthier um, because I was really on that road of, of not being well and staying on medications for the rest of my life. But uh, I'm quite mm. stubborn and that's not the road I'm, I'm going down. <laughs> That's not for well, me. I mean, good for you. What incredible strength. Um, there's a brilliant book by Bessel van der Volk, which you might know, called The Body Keeps the Score. <clears throat> yeah. And it's about how, and, and Gabor Mate as well does a lot of work around I love him. trauma. Yes. Yeah, I do as well. Know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and talking about how trauma stays in the body and it manifests in mental and physical symptoms. It's just there. Um, you know, sort of toxic mass that 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 needs in some way to be, I suppose, want to a better word, exercised or released, whatever you might say. So what's the, the the burnout? And I think sometimes just by the way, I think we sometimes think burnout is is from work. It's from too much work, <clears throat> working too hard, working too long hours. But actually it can come from different mine is more alcohol driven. Um, and it can be traumatic as well, and you know, caused by trauma. But did the the burnout as you've identified it? come as a result of of that sort of 10 years of of ill health or was it a result of having to to work harder for your son and and pushing yourself and driving yourself to do the best for him was it all around the same time I've had probably three real burnout experiences um the first was when my son was ill and I completely fell apart like I just couldn't cope I wasn't eating 
Um, the doctors said I had something called hyperventilation syndrome, which is just basically extreme anxiety. Like I couldn't talk because I couldn't breathe. Like I was just, my body was in overdrive, but I hadn't done any of my therapy. So everything I'd experienced as a child and as a young adult was all still there. I hadn't dealt with it. So I'd thrown myself into work, gone off the rails. Um, and then my son got ill. So you can imagine, I think everything just came at once. So that was really difficult but obviously went on the therapy path. And then the most recent experience actually has been in the pandemic. Um, my relationship ended, <laughs> my son moved out and we went into winter lockdown and I, I'm a managing director. There was no furlough for me. There was, you know, there was no grants, there's no support. And because mm. of my phobia of my past coming back to haunt me, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to lose everything. And that for me, I'd almost, I almost drove myself into burnout through worry. I was just constantly worrying that my past was going to come back. Um, but what I've learned is now, I think as I've got older, I think there are physical reasons and I think they come over time. So the two examples that I've given you then, it was a long drawn out process of SH1T hitting the fan over and over and over. And it just builds up to a point where you're like, as we've said, something's got to change. And I think you can have that type of burnout. But I also think you can have burnout in the sense of you're just not aligned to who you are. Like I know when I was employed, um, and I was always really good at work. I was always top sales. I was always achieving, but it wasn't, I wasn't aligned to who I am. And so I quite quickly burnt out because I was trying to fit a square peg in a round hole and I never felt like I fitted in. I never felt like I was really on my path. Um, and so I think burnout comes slowly through trying to be someone you're not, maybe. Oh, I couldn't agree more. When I had mine 10 years ago, I was, I appreciate that, that listeners can't see me, um, but a quick Google will show you short hair, very casual dress, jeans, jumpers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, long hair, skirt suits, tights and heels, uh, and I worked opposite Leadenhall Market. So every day I'm teetering through on these, these, these heels through the cobbles of Leadenhall Market in the city, um, mixing with people that are just, you know, weren't my sort of people at all in a, selling a market data product that I couldn't care less about. Yeah, completely inauthentic. Um, and I definitely think that massively contributed to burnout. Tell me your story about that. I think that's a huge one. And it's not one we've talked about on the pod yet. Yeah, I think when you grow up, well, for me... I was so obsessed with not being tarnished as this teenage mum and I didn't want to be that person. So I worked in the only way I knew how, which was go to college, get a job, work through the ranks in a corporate company and then you'll be happy, pay your bills and be happy type life. And I did that until I was 30 and I had nightmare after nightmare after nightmare with just like the worst ever bosses and... People, you know, office politics, which I have got no time for. Gossip, I don't have any time for. Um, and I always just kind of thought, I've got to get up every day. It was like selling yourself. I felt like I was selling my soul. Um, it just, I just didn't fit in. I did not fit in. And funnily enough, it wasn't until I came to do my course, Dent, um, in London, my business course. And the day before I started, I was like, what am I doing? I'm going to be in this room with successful people and I'm this teenage mum. I'm never going to fit in. And I walked in and I have never felt so 
just accepted. And what I realized was entrepreneurs quite often have got similar stories to mine. They've overcome some kind of adversity. Mm -hmm. They've had to really figure out who they are, why they're not fitting in. Why why don't you fit into the corporate world? Why can you not get on in jobs? Every 12 months I was moving jobs. And I'm sure my mum and my family and people around me were like, what is wrong with you? Like, why can't you sit? And I'm like, I'm just so bored. This just, I can't fit in. And it wasn't until I actually seriously, you know, went on my, court, my business course and started meeting other entrepreneurs that I was like, oh, now I fit in. I can tell my story. I don't have to be ashamed because mm-hmm. everyone else has got a story like this too. Um, and since then, I've just never really felt like work's a chore. And if I do feel tired, I have some time off or I do something different. And interestingly, I mentioned I burnt out through the pandemic and that was a lot of previous trauma that I'd worked my way up, you know, worked up in my own mind, along with my relationship ending, my son moving in with his girlfriend. You know, there was a huge life experience and, and the pandemic. Um, but actually what that helped me realise was that I was sitting at home on my own, on my laptop, eight hours a day, seeing nobody. All my meetings were on Zoom. It was winter. And I just went, nah, I can't do this. So I bought a calf. <laughs> I bought wow. a cafe, yeah. So I bought a cafe. And so now I run two hey, businesses. Hang on, hang on, hang on. That, that's a huge leap for anyone to make. What led up to that? Did um, you know someone who was selling a cafe? or Yeah, it was, again, a, another hilarious like sequence of events that my life has always been like. Um, my brother was working six till six in an employed job and he wants to be self-employed. And he was like, I can't work on my business while I'm six till six, you know, at work. Mm. And um, where he works, the cafe over the road came available. And he was like, oh my God, I can take a salary. I can work eight till two. Do you want to invest with me? So I was like, yeah, that's fine. So we did 50-50, bought a calf. Um, (laughs) And so we're renovating that. And you would think running two businesses, I would be prime for burnout, but no. No, because you're doing something that that you love in the main happy. anyway. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It makes me happy. I've got I've got my business side, you know, with Love Mondays, which I absolutely love. I help people build their businesses every day and they're so grateful and the results that we get for people is amazing. I get I get a lot of value out of doing that, but I don't get the social interaction. And so working one day managing a couple of young people in a cafe and seeing them progress and one is 18 he's really started to realize he loves cooking I would love to see him going on to do like a chef qualification or something you know developing them um, and getting the social interaction because I've realized I know myself I have to have those two things to be happy Um, and so no I don't I feel feel as happy and content as I ever have really even though I am really busy I don't mm. feel anywhere near burnout. That's interesting because the, the other interviews that I've done and, and the way that I'll release these won't necessarily be sequentially. So I've already done two interviews with, with, with guests, uh, not, not experts, as it were. And both those are stories like mine of burning out and leaving that career and changing lots of things. But you haven't done that. And that's really interesting because I know a lot of people listening will say, well, this is fine and well, but I don't want or feel I can't leave this job financially. So what are my other options for reducing the effects of burnout and staying well? And you you haven't done that. I mean, you've made a big change. You bought a cafe, but that's not the sort of change that, that most people are doing. You didn't abandon everything. I do want to ask you though, did you change anything at all? Did you when you recognised that you weren't doing something that was authentic, did you change the people you were with? I guess what I'm really getting at actually is the word values. 
you know, what were your values when you were always at risk of burning out? And how, have, how do they compare to your values now? And take Looking as long as you like over that, because I think it's a really important one. <laughs> Looking back now, um, the people I was with, the friends that I had, um, the things that I was doing as downtime, which was usually going to raves for three days or, you know, really not treating my body well, drinking a lot. Um, it was because I wasn't aligned to my values. I was waking up every day feeling as though I had nothing to give, nothing that I could change, no purpose, no positive growth. Um, so it's no wonder I was numbing. What were your values then? And that's, I appreciate a difficult and personal question, but you must have valued something. When I was in the midst of hedonism, I obviously valued the artificial connection of drink, etc. I must have valued popularity by being the hilarious one that was like drinks. I mean, they're not values I'm proud of, but I mean, would you be willing to answer that question? I mean, yeah, what did yeah. you value then? Reduced inhibitions. Um, there was a lot of numbing my past. I didn't know that at the time. I think when you're on that road, you don't, it's very subconscious. You don't realize what you're doing. I had no self-awareness. I had no, um, I, I couldn't see why I was behaving that way. I was just reacting and behaving um, because I, I was so misaligned. I was so, you know, trauma had just switched myself off to my own body. And actually, I didn't even know what values were. I remember my first ever coaching session one of my really good friends now, she started her business just before, just about the same time as I started mine about six months before. And so to kind of formulate a model and all of that, she was doing really cheap coaching sessions to just try and practice and formulate what she wanted to do. And I was one of her first people. And she sat me down and did the wheel of life, which if nobody's, if anybody hasn't done that, it's amazing. I try and do it every few months to make sure I'm on track. She did the wheel of life and she made me sit down and start writing down my values. And I was like, I've never, <laughs> I've never sat down and actually thought and when you're a mum and when you're working your way out of all of these traumas I was I had no time for myself I had no time to think who I was or what I wanted heaven forbid I could have something I wanted um because it was beaten out of me in relationships or you know as a mum you don't really have time when you've got a small child especially when you're on your own and so I sat down and I was like oh my god actually and what I could see was fun freedom and, and social interaction are three of my very strong values. Um, and I realized going out was giving me those. It mm. was an escape. On the negative side, it was an escape. It was numbing everything that had happened to me. Um, it was an excuse not to have to sort myself out. But equally, it was giving me fun. It was giving me the social interaction. And to be honest, I learned a huge amount about people. I learned a huge amount of compassion. Um, there's no judgment. I, people can tell me anything. I would never judge them because I, I've been there myself or I've seen somebody else that has been there or I know the story that's led to that point. So I think, I mean, I've got a podcast called From Struggle to Success and it is that, you know, you can turn that struggle into a successful life experience. It doesn't always have to be down. You just have to find the gifts in it. Mm. So your two values haven't actually changed. The way you're meeting them has I'm aware which of is them. also an interesting angle yeah that is interesting because I wasn't aware of them before I think you're reacting to 
give yourself give yourself what you need in a reactive way whereas now I do it in a proactive way because I'm actually aware of it and I'm aware of my own if I self-sabotage or if I am getting to the point where you know what I've had a glass of wine every day this week I'm like okay what's going on here I have that self-awareness whereas before I'd have gone out for three days and not come home it wouldn't have even entered into my mind to think, Sonia, are you unhappy? <laughs> you know, what do you need to deal with here? It wouldn't have even entered my mind because I was just reacting to get my needs met. Um, whereas I think I've, tr- I've worked very hard and I have spent tens of thousands of pounds on making sure that I know who I am, where I want to be, how I can align to get my needs met, whether that's through work, whether that's through socially, um, and it's an ongoing process, you know, I'm not perfect. There's a lot of things that, you know, I have to work on and I still work on. And I guess that's something else that you can say about burnout is I have a lot of people behind me now. I, I'm so lucky that I've got friends and clients that are coaches. Um, I have acupuncture very regularly. I, if there's a therapy that comes, you know, someone around me introduces it, I'll always go and try it. Um, sound therapy, sound baths, Reiki, anything that I can do to kind of feel better in myself, understand myself and mm. then get my needs met in a proactive way rather than, and I think when you you are doing it in a proactive way, you're a lot happier. Uh, when you're reactive, I think it's more about either escaping or acting out to get something met rather than doing it in a more conscious way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, you've touched on lots of things that you do to, you know, to stay well and to do some of the deep work that you're doing. Are there any other non-negotiables for you? Well, I guess they're things that you do. They're perhaps not non-negotiable. Are there any non-negotiables? One, two, three things you do every day or every week to keep yourself well and choose your values and having them met in that positive way? Yeah, I always, I'm a real learner. I've got, my dad was actually a genius. Like he was top 2% of the country. And as a child, I remember him teaching me how to bend light to make rainbows like that. And he used to read Stephen Hawking to me when I was like three years old. So he's always taught me about the universe and it's just given me this really expansive mind. And so I learn about anything. If there's a course or anything that interests me, I'll go and do it. Or if there's a book I want to listen to, it doesn't matter if it doesn't align with my job or I really try and feed myself. And for me, that's through learning. So if I'm conscious, if I've always got an active brain uh, and some people have challenged me on this because I do do a lot. And people have said, are you running? Are you you not sitting still because there's something you don't want to feel? And I do sit with that every now and again and think, actually, is this just a socially accepted escape form of escapism? Mm. Um, But actually, no, because I do do my deeper work at the same time. And it genuinely interests me. And it can be something as simple as having a cup of tea and listening to a podcast. Um, And I always talk about flow. So what what can you kind of do where time just gets lost? You don't realize you've been there for three hours because you're just so in that flow. So I try and think about things, you know, where I can do that. Um, So it's listening to even podcasts that take my mind away from, you know, your day-to-day stresses. Um, I have gone back to quite an expensive gym, which I left for a while um, because I'm always that, oh, do you really need to spend that much money on a gym? But actually... I really enjoy it. I work from there. So it's like a bit of an office. I've met people there. It gives me that social interaction. You can work out, you can go to yoga, whatever. That's for Mm. me. And I just think if I can't spend that 
on myself, <laughs> you know, that needs, you know, you need to look at that, Sonia. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I do that and I work with people. So I've acupuncture very regularly. That has helped me unbelievable amounts. Um, so there's always something I'm doing to support myself and that's a non-negotiable for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, brilliant. Um, you touched on, I want to move into the sort of the red flags. What are the red flags that go up that sort of suggest to you, whoa, you might want to have a look at things here. You might be going a bit quick. Um, you mentioned you notice you're having a glass of wine every evening. I guess that's a red flag. You know, the bottle's not lasting as long as it used to. <laughs> what are the other red flags that just suggest you need to sit and reevaluate or just notice something a bit more? Yeah, so it, addiction is an interesting one. As an ex-addict, um, and because I've done my deep work, I don't have to abstain from anything. I don't have to not drink because I never get to a point where I have to get smashed. I'll have two or three glasses of wine and that is absolutely fine for me. Um, I appreciate that other people's um, healing journeys have been completely different and the way that they manage um themselves I guess is very different so for people that do have to abstain that is completely fine but for me I'm very lucky in that I can take it or leave it um but there are times when I'm like oh I'm having dinner and I'm I'm having a glass of two of wine um and it's a Tuesday and it's Wednesday and it's a Thursday um so I do I kind of take myself away and have a bit I think I'm some kind of monk or something because I take myself away and I do some kind of hypnotherapy work I'm very lucky that I've had so much of it I can actually do it to myself now so that saves me a lot of money <laughs> yeah I bet it does I want to go back to what you just said because I, I am this interesting ex-addict I know some people would say once an addict always an addict I, I don't call myself a recovering alcoholic I'm celebrating 10 years sobriety in the 1st of April thank you um, and I don't see myself as recovering I see myself as recovered but it's very much an abstinence based yeah I love that me. Covered in any way that you can. And I know somebody who um, threw herself into competing with exercise and her, how she yeah. is so driven with her mind. You can literally see how she's moved it from, from how she used to behave to moving that absolute power over to mm. her drive over. And it's just incredible. Yeah. I think what, what's interesting about what you just said there, and, and we won't go into, you know, the extent of either addictions and what makes it that, but that you were, it, it makes me think that maybe it was more, the addiction for you was more about the processes and the way that, that you were firing in the wrong direction with that drive as opposed to the substance and the physiological addiction itself. Is that fair? And does that make sense, I suppose? Yeah, mine was escape totally. I didn't know at the time. It was numbing and it was escape. Mm. Um, I couldn't deal with, I didn't want to. I couldn't deal with what happened to me and I didn't want to deal with it. And my way of doing that is to just drown it out. Um, and as, as I went through my therapy and started dealing with everything that had happened to me, um, it just got easier. I actually got to a point where I couldn't even drink. I got to a point where I couldn't even have a coffee. I think when you do cellular work like I've done, your cells are so shut down over the years, which is what makes you ill. Um, that, I could I could do anything to my body and it would just survive. Mm-hmm. But after opening up all of my cells and reconnecting to my body and doing all of that work, I even got to the point where I couldn't drink coffee. Um, I can't eat pork. There, there are some funny things where I'm being like, oh, but this is also how I got off all of my medications. I remember once um, your body just rejects it. You get to a point where you're like, no, no. So for me, it's not that, 
I don't have to drink. It's that I don't actually want to anymore because I'm, I'm, I'm actually connected to my body now, whereas before I completely wasn't. But I remember once I had like 20, I had like 10 pills in my hand and there was like evening primrose oil, um, iron tablets because I was anemic, all of these tablets. And honestly, I am not lying. I threw them all in my mouth because I just used to swallow them up. I threw them all in my mouth and all of the... Um, kind of multivitamins went down and the pharmaceutical medication stayed in my mouth and oh, I just weird. spat them out and I was like don't no, just don't my body just complete and I never ever took them again yeah it's strange isn't it and I think there's a lot it may sound a bit woo-woo to listeners but I think there's definitely your body will tell you it'll guide you and if you ignore that which is again coming back to burnout is ignoring the signs the body's sending you however oh, they're sending it, them mental was- or physical it was massive. And that's another reason why I stopped drinking for a really long time. I didn't go 10 years. You've done amazingly with that. Um, but I just got to the point where I was like, my body just does not want it. But as I've kind of, you know, healed more through it, I've kind of come more into balance. Um, and that's my experience of it. And going back to burnout, I think it's when you're so unbalanced, whether that's working too hard and taking on too much or working in the wrong direction, going in the wrong direction. Um, whatever it is, I think it's just that you're, you're not in balance with yourself. And that's mm. when your body starts saying, yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an important point for people to sort of reflect on as well. Let's talk about the future. I mean, this is the Agile Business Athlete podcast. I talk to people about predicting what's coming up, preparing for it with some of the stuff you've talked about, performing and then recovering. How do you or do you have a process of looking ahead? What's coming up? What's going to need all my resources? And if so... You know, um, how do you prepare for that? And then what do you do to recover? To yeah. let your, your nervous system to recover afterwards? Um, the pandemic's been massive for me. Um, I've had to completely change my business model. I haven't had to. My business would have worked fine and has worked fine. I was very lucky that I was mostly online anyway. Um, but what I realised was I have a lot more to give. I was doing a lot of one-to-one work. And so what I realised was my value of social interaction Um I wanted to do one to many. So I have been probably about 13, 14 months now, just over a year, I've been building my business courses. Um, And so I really would love to start off the back of that, doing some kind of retreats, um, business weekends, and it will be infused with really good food, maybe yoga, some kind of retreat, but actually working on your business as well, aligning you to your goals. yeah, building whatever you need to build to be a success. So I'm trying to think of ways where I can kind of merge what I love doing and what I know with who I am and where I want to be. Um, And it's having those two things together. How can I actually build a business with that? So I think a lot of my experiences have meant that obviously I've done a lot of therapy. I've got a lot of knowledge in that area. How can I actually use that knowledge I'm trained as a coach. How can I use that knowledge and my business knowledge and merge that together Mm. into a new business model, I guess. So that's going to be my courses. And I am also obviously running a cafe and I'm also running my old business model one-to-one as I was before. So I am trying to balance it all. I definitely make sure I have a day off in the one day off a week. Um, I really find that if I do work seven days, I get to Monday and I'm like, oh God, I just, you know, your brain's not firing on all cylinders. So I do always make sure I have a good weekend off. Um, I might do a few hours, but 
generally I, I try not to work mm. um, and I, I try and get away from my laptop as much as possible. I think we've got so used to being on a phone or a laptop to communicate and I don't think it's healthy. So I try, try, try to get away from my laptop as much <laughs> as possible. <laughs> Um, I think recovery can be what I call slithers of recovery. So sometimes if I'm waiting on Zoom and whoever I'm waiting for has turned up yet, I'll look up because I've got a long line of windows to the right and in front of me. And I'll just look out the window and it's a bit bleak today, but just let the eyes, you know, away. I can already feel actually the benefit of looking away with the greatest respect for looking (laughs) away from you, um, but not you, the screen. I'll put makeup on for this as well. (laughs) You've had my undivided attention for 40 minutes. I'm just <laughs> looking away for a second. Um, and just look at something. But the point is actually not taking a while. It, it, it's just having a daydream out the window and coming back. That's a sort of a, a slither of recovery or dropping out to do two minutes of breath work or looking at a photo of a holiday you've got coming up. And, and then, of course, it could be taking 30 minutes, 40 minutes out for a workout or a whole day off at the weekend or a holiday. There's levels of recovery, but is there anything else that you do that, that really works for you in terms of recovery? Do you know what? That's super interesting. And I hadn't realized I'd done that. I do this, but I always sit by the window. So when I am on my laptop, I always make sure that if I'm working from, you know, the little room that they've got at the gym or if I'm at home, I never, ever, ever sit in the room. I'm always by the window. And I don't know, it just makes a difference. Um, and in the summer, I actually have one of those sad lamps, you know, like the daytime. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do try and, which I think that's just subconsciously. I hadn't actually realised that I do do that, but I do do that. Um, I do always make sure I have a break as well. I do eat in the day. And I know that sounds daft, but for many years, I'd just work, I'd go and get food, sit back at my laptop and just work through. Um, and I think it's being mindful. You know, your, yours was such a great example because you're mindfully thinking, I need to look after myself um, because it's so easy to get onto that kind of wheel of constantly doing work and emails are popping through all the time. I also don't have notifications on my work emails on my phone. I have to physically go in to read my emails because I was just finding it takes over your life. If somebody emails and you're like, oh, what's so-and-so say? Oh, oh what, what should I do? And, you know, when it's 24-7, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, my phone's always on silent. <laughs> I'm renowned for nobody ever being able to get a hold of me. Um, just text me because my phone's on silent. So I do always try to, and my brother always laughs at me. He's like, you run a business without actually answering the phone. I'm like, well, my clients, no, just email me. <laughs> I'll ring you back. <laughs> um, but I do always those little mindful things where I just think I'm going to take a minute. It's just being mindful. And I think that's the example that you gave was so good because you're mindfully thinking I'm going to, you know, this, this minute is for me. Mm. I think when you've, when you've had a burnout, you, you become, generally speaking, very protective of the things you know are important for you. I am fiercely so. I mean, my best friend laughs at me and says, you know, I can see you're whirring away asking questions. Well, what time, what time will it start? And I know you're working out what time you can get home and get to bed. So yes, I pretty much am. But I'm very defensive of that. I mean, I actually pretty much don't do anything in the evenings now. That's a huge part of recovery for me. I don't mind what the day throws, lots of Zooms or yesterday I, had, uh, I literally went from Huddersfield to Leeds to, to York and back to London in a bid to get home. I was sent round the, there were wow. huge train problems, but I don't really mind what the day throws at me and that's an unusual day. But the evenings, I really like to be home and in. Seven o'clock, 7.30, that's the day done. You know, we're in trackies or PJs watching something and the dog and the cat are on the sofa. So it's a huge part, but I'm very protective of that time and I think it's important to be. Yeah, I think... Last, um, 
social, you, uh, you get that social pressure, especially as somebody who used to go out a lot to the mm. extent that I used to go out. And even now, um, I will say my friends still put the pressure on for me to drink. And I'm like, I don't want, I physically don't want to drink. You know what I mean? And the pressure for me to have a drink is huge. And you have to be quite kind of like, hold up, this is my body. You know what I mean? This is my yeah. choice. I've been through the mill and I got to the point where I thought I fit, I've felt so awful and I've worked so hard to feel good. Why do I want to put things in my body that make me feel awful again? Um, I just don't want to do that. So I'm the same as you. I, you know, I might have a couple of glasses of wine, but that that'll be the end of it for me. And I'm I'm kind of watching TV. And we have Hello Fresh. Sorry if we're not allowed to plug these things, but um, you know, just having that really nice food. Um, you know, that's fresh and there's veg, you know, a lot of veg in there and it's little things like that. And I I understand if people maybe haven't got the, you know, finances, I I certainly never used to have. So I'm living a life now that I never thought I would ever be able to live. Um, And I do think it's an interesting point, actually, that all of these things to avoid burnout maybe do cost money. Um, Having the nice gym, having the nice food, you know, could, could be seen to be, related to your income um I, but I, feel I think lucky. yeah I think the things that, I think lots of them are free it's it's addressing your values yeah walking addressing the trauma yeah using nature um positive ways to boost self-esteem and self-worth they can cost money but I think I could give you five things that cost money to help with that and five things that that don't I won't now that's something something for another time but I don't think it has to cost money. Yeah. Um, and I think what would interest me about your story is the sort of the trauma element um, and what you, and the amazing work you've done around that, but also uh, the values piece around burnout. Because I think, you know, we're people who are burning out and I count myself in that, we're often our values are misaligned or we're just valuing the wrong thing. So many people who, when I used to coach, would come with burnout and they would they talk about their values being family first. And I think that they're, they're not. You know, and quite often I think people say they work hard for, for their families. I don't think it is. I think it's deeper than that. But anyway, we're going off on, on tangents there. Sonia, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing an uh, incredible story, incredible story of recovery and resilience and, and everything else. So all the best for the future. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. And yours too. You've got a great story too. So some great points as well. Thanks, Leanne. Pleasure. Want more? Take our Wellbeing at Work company scorecard and get a free personalised report full of actionable insights. Or, if you're interested in finding out what your health IQ is, take our Health IQ scorecard. Links can be found in the show notes. And finally, if you've enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you.